Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver, and man, do we have a good show for you on this Friday. Nuggets are up 2-0. I had the Lakers not just winning last night, but winning by 15. Clearly, I was dead wrong on that, although although I did say Lakers plus 5.5, and, and by the skin of their teeth, they cover that. Thank God for a Jamal Murray missed free throw with 20 seconds left. Am I right? But I'll get to that to start the show because that is a series that I think has, has unless you're a Nuggets fan slash supporter, that is a series that has gone in a totally different direction than I thought it would be, but I still believe the Lakers can win the series. I'll also get to Bob Myers, the general manager of my Golden State Warriors, and amid reports from sources like Sham Sharania talking about, hey, he may leave Golden State, they haven't had any uh, substantial contract talks, I've got a source in the Bay Area that made me feel a lot better about the current situation. I'll get to that later in the show as well as why the Houston Rockets should not, repeat, should not welcome a James Harden reunion anytime soon. I'll get to that later in the show. And at the end of today's show, uh, only NFL topic of the day, or really second NFL topic of the day, Devontae Adams doesn't sound all that happy in Vegas. He's, you know, he's, he's trying to, he's trying to make it work. He's kind of trapped, but man, he's not happy. And I can't say that I, particularly blame him. I'll get to that at the end of today's show. We've got a lot to discuss, but I did want to address some sad news we got today. Uh, Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame running back, Jim Brown passed away yesterday at the age of 87, and he was one of the great, forget football players, I think athletes we've ever, we've ever seen, and I'll sort of get into why we'll never really see another athlete like him in terms of his career accomplishments. But I want to start with the most important thing, and that's what he did off the field. We all see, at least you know, my generation, obviously I wasn't around them, but we see the photos of Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was Lou Alcindor at the time, Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali. We see all the photos from the 1967 Cleveland Summit, right? Fighting for civil rights, for social change, for black Americans. That was who Jim Brown was as a activist. In 1988, as an article right here by um, uh, ESPN talks about. 1988, he, fa- uh, he founded the uh, Amer I Can Foundation, which is a program to help disadvantaged inner city youth and ex-convicts. So helping kids with, you know, who, who are in underprivileged uh, backgrounds trying to get out of that situation, helping people off the field. But on the field is, again, I I don't think, we probably don't talk about enough because Jim Brown played pre-Super Bowl era. He played for an organization, which now we look at as kind of a laughingstock of the NFL. But first, let's get to his accomplishments. And then I'll get to why I don't think we'll ever see a career like his again. So Jim Brown, in his career, think about this. He's a four-time league MVP. That is incredibly rare. Tom Brady hasn't even won four MVPs. I think that's crazy, but he's never won four MVPs. Aaron Rodgers has. Peyton Manning has. But it's a small group of guys that have done that. 
Nine-time Pro Bowl selection. He was a Pro Bowler every single year of his career. Eight-time, not All-Pro, first-team All-Pro. He was on the NFL 75th anniversary team, the 100th anniversary team. He led the NFL in rushing eight of his nine years in his career. Led the NFL in touchdowns five times in his career. He led the, the Cleveland Browns to an NFL championship in 1964. That was the last championship in the city of Cleveland until one I would like to forget, the 2016 NBA Finals, when the Cavs won. 12,312 rushing yards, which was an NFL record at the time. 106 rushing touchdowns, also an NFL record at the time. And of course, a Pro Football Hall of Famer, the class of 1971. Why I don't think we'll ever see a career like his again? Some of it is how the game has changed, how football has changed into more of a quarterback-centric, pass-centric league. We think about the Mahomes of the world, the Joe Burrows of the world, the Josh Allens, the Jalen Hurts, the Trevor Lawrence's and company. The running game isn't as emphasized. It's not as important to winning. If you've got an all-time talented quarterback, you'll always have a chance to win a championship, whereas that wasn't always necessarily the case for the vast majority of NFL history. But not just that. Jim Brown played nine years in the NFL, retired in the middle of his prime. Just imagine what his numbers would have looked like if he had played 12 years. Dare I say 15 years, maybe the 15 stretching it a little bit too much. But this is a guy who retired at the apex of his career. Not many guys can say that. We talk about what if, I'm sort of sort of talk about very different contexts, but with John Morant yesterday, like, you know, we, we don't want John to be a part of the what if club of athletes. Like of, of God forbid, tragic stories. But Jim Brown is part of a club of what if, like, what if he'd have kept going? What if he kept playing? Another guy who retired after year nine, Barry Sanders, you could make that argument for. The same could be said for another Detroit Lion, Calvin Johnson. Even Tom Brady last year, I'm talking about his first retirement, I remember talking about in the show, like, wow, Tom Brady now sort of joins this club where it's, man, what more could he have done if he hadn't retired seemingly still in his prime? Michael Jordan. When he retired in 1998, yes, he came back in 2001, but we knew he wasn't in the same physical shape that he was beforehand, wasn't the same MJ, wasn't Jumpman. We always wonder, wow, if, if Michael had played past 98, what would his numbers look like? Would he have more than six championships? Would he have another finals appearance on his resume? Would he have left Chicago? A lot of what ifs. The same could be said about Jim Brown. For him to accomplish on the field what he did, and yet it is still... It still pales in comparison to what he did off the field, his activism, till his final breath on this earth. May Jim Brown rest in peace. Continue prayers uh, to his family, to his wife, Monique, his children, loved ones. Uh, definitely an all-time legend we lost uh, within the last 24 hours. When you think about sort of it's that, it's that big four. We think about those athletes. Again, the Cleveland Summit. Muhammad Ali, who's no longer with us. Jim Brown, who's now no longer with us. And then you think uh, Bill Russell, who passed away last year, and now Kareem is, is you know, one of the guys, you know, still, still among us. All-time legends, and Jim Brown certainly will be missed. Passed away yesterday at the age of 87. May Jim Brown rest in peace. We will now move to sports. I should say the NBA, rather. We should uh, moving to a, the Western Conference Finals, where the Denver Nuggets have taken a 2-0 series lead. I think, in surprise to people like myself, who I think it'd be too harsh to call me a Nuggets hater. I mean, I bought into them as contenders virtually all season long. I did pick them to win their first two playoff series, so I think calling me a Nuggets hater would be a little harsh. But a Nuggets semi-skeptic. I think it's to be how you describe me. But trust me, many people in the media have been far more skeptical about the Denver Nuggets this season. They seem like everybody picked the Suns. Oh yeah, Suns beating the Nuggets the second round. I, for one, picked Denver because I said, Suns don't have the depth. Okay, I, I don't I don't trust, uh, you know, the supporting pieces around KD and Devin Booker. And eventually Devin Booker wore down and KD was bad in game six. Denver had the better team. 
So I can't say I've been like mean to Denver. I like I think Denver's a great city. But they're up 2-0 in this series. Michael Malone, the head coach of the Nuggets, a guy who, again, Denver, I've always been a Michael Malone defender. Uh, he was talking before game one and even after game two talking about, yeah, when you when you win game one and everybody's talking about, oh, the Lakers got them right where they want them or they're, what did they do wrong instead of focusing on, like, what did we do right? We, we did win the game, guys. I mean, what did they, you know, what is it? Did they just hand us the game? Did they just automatically give the Nuggets a 1-0 series lead? And he said, and I quote, we just put in our pipe and smoked it and moved on game, to game two, which I love that mentality by by Mike Malone and the Nuggets. And so, out of respect to him and out of respect to the Nuggets organization and team in particular, let's talk about Denver first because they deserve their shine. They did, after all, win the game. I want to start with Jamal Murray because he's the man of the hour. Jamal Murray scored 34 points in game two, including 23 you're that right, 23 in the fourth quarter alone to lead the Nuggets to win. And I have said, at least for a year, maybe two, I certainly said when Jamal Murray went down a couple years ago when he tore his ACL against my Warriors in April of 2021, I said, Jokic is unquestionably the best player in the Nuggets. It's not, not even close. He, he's, he's their best everything. He's their best scorer. He's their best rebounder. He's their best passer. Probably not their best defensive player, but he does everything for them. Is the biggest reason why they're here. There's no question about that. But I have consistently said, while Jokic is a super-duper star, I trust Murray slightly more in the playoffs. And that's not saying I don't trust Jokic. It's just that I trust Jamal Murray a little bit more. People seemed a little surprised that Jamal Murray did this on this big of a stage in the Western Conference Finals yesterday. And I'm sitting back and saying, he'd been doing this. In large part, I think the surprise came out of the fact that up until this year, we hadn't seen Jamal Murray in the postseason in two and a half years because he missed 21 and 22 due to the ACL. But this is who he's always been in the postseason. Everybody talks about the bubble and all that. Oh, that was the bubble. It's still basketball. Okay, guys are still playing defense. You still got to make shots. Yeah, there was no crowd noise, no travel. We understand that. But same game, same defense, still great teams. And Jamal Murray has multiple 50-point games on his resume in the postseason. He also has three 40-point games in elimination games in the postseason. Keep in mind, he was the biggest catalyst to the Nuggets coming back from 3-1 down against the Jazz two and a half years ago in the first round. He was a monster catalyst scoring 40 in Game 7 and helping the Nuggets come back from 3-1 down on the Clippers the very next series. We talked about how great Jokic was in game one, rightfully so. Jamal Murray did score 31 points. It wasn't like he was just along for the ride. He was a major contributor. This is who he's been. And I mentioned the 20 point, 23 point fourth quarter. This is now the fifth time in Jamal Murray's career that he has had a 20 point quarter in the postseason. He's only one of two players in the last 25 years, if not NBA history, to do that. The other one being, of course, the best player in the world, Steph Curry. Point is, this wasn't like he was hitting open, wide open shots or it was a bad deal. No, Jared Vanderbilt, LeBron James, guys regarding him were right in his grill. Right in his face. And he was still making tough, tough threes. Shooting them from Steph slash Dame range out there. Breaking guys down off the dribble. Step back. That's what he does in the biggest games, particularly in the fourth quarter. And to give Jamal Murray all the credit in the world. And even for Nikola Jokic in what was... I guess for him, given how he played in game one, a little bit of a down game, Nikola Jokic was still really good. 23, 17, and 12. Uh, I'll take that. I, I'll be inefficient, but it happens. I mean, you're, you're not going to be you're gonna be shooting 50% every playoff game. Yeah, I'll take 23, 17, and 12 any day of the week. They got big-time contributions from Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown, who, by the way, two for four from three. Mark Jackson adequately pointed out in the, on the... Uh, on the broadcast talking about, hey, you know, Bruce Brown, the Brooklyn Nets used to have to take him out late in games because while he was an excellent on-ball defender, couldn't necessarily trust him to knock down an open three. Now Denver can because he's worked on that aspect of his game. Are you listening, Ben Simmons? That's fine. He doesn't care about basketball. Michael Porter Jr., four for seven from three. 
Again, as we all know, the old rule in sports, role players always play better at home. As you give credit to the Nuggets, they held serve at home. They're up two games to none. And this whole, you know, we talk about playoff Jimmy, and rightfully so. He just goes in a whole different zone in the postseason. But second to that, and I've been saying this, is playoff Murray. Like, he's been doing this if you look back at what he did in the 2020 postseason. He didn't get the opportunity to show us in 2021 and in 2022 due to injury. Now he's back. Shocker, shocker. Playoff Murray also is back. So props to the Denver Nuggets. Let's move to the Lakers, though, because that's where all the attention is going. First off, I'm hearing a lot of, and I've talked to some Lakers fans over the past 24 hours about, you know, what adjustments they need to make, going back home for game three and four, what needs to happen. I saw a stat, my buddy Barry Grant Jr. sent this to me this morning, and I'm giving him the credit for sending this. D'Angelo Russell is a large reason that the Lakers are down in this series. He's played 50, he's been in this series on the floor 59 minutes. The Lakers are a minus 41. Why is that? Knows what the Nuggets are doing. They just keep going at him in the pick and roll. As, as good as a shot maker as he can be from time to time, although we haven't really seen that thus far through the first two games, he is a bad defender. On a team that's the best defensive team in the league, they can kind of hide him. Denver's like, we're not going to let you. If you we're we're going to find a way to get Jamal Murray matched up against him and let him go to work one-on-one. Without D'Angelo Russell on the floor for 37 minutes, the Lakers are a plus 30. Okay, that's a, <laughs> it's a big swing there. Minus 41, plus 30. You do the math there. So my view, which Darvin Ham, he did make adjustments against my Warriors, which surprised me. That's not at least what he's shown in his first season that hasn't necessarily been in his DNA. A big adjustment for me is switch out Schroeder with Murray. With Murray, I'm sorry. Switch out Schroeder with D'Lo. Put Schroeder in, 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 the, uh, in the starting lineup, have him guard Jamal Murray, have D'Lo as sort of that score off the bench. If he doesn't work, take him out. Like don't, don't, don't allow him to mess up the flow of the game. And also replace Jared Vanderbilt with Rui Hachimura. That way, you're better off, you get off to a better offensive start. And even more importantly, when Dennis Schroeder goes to the bench, you put Jared Vanderbilt in. Like my thing is, Always have either Schroeder or Vando on the floor to guard Murray. He's going to make tough shots, and you got to live with those. But make it as tough as you can make it on him. Vando with his length, although they kind of exposed him, and that's kind of been a weakness of his. I know the Warriors really exposed his. That's why he his minutes went down in that series. Is He's bad about getting caught in the pick and roll, but you got to at least try it. We'll see what Darvin Ham makes. I would be very, very surprised if the starting lineup remains the same in game three as it's been through the first two. The second guy I wanted to address, Anthony Davis. As I've known him since the first round. Oh, you didn't see that off the screen here. Coin flip Davis. And it landed, there you go, tails. Not kidding, they got the court here. Landed, Landed on tails. She landed tails last night, ladies and gentlemen. I call him Coin Flip Davis because at his peak, guy might as well be the second coming of Akeem Olajuwon. At his floor, he might as well be the worst version of Roy Hibbert. No offense, Roy Hibbert. From game to game, you have no clue what you're getting from Coin Flip Davis. Last night, the game the Lakers really needed to get, again, to win this series, they have to win at least one road game while still holding serve at home. AD, 4 for 15 for the field, 1 for 3 from three-point range, 18 points. Give him credit, 14 rebounds, and solid defense on Nikola Jokic. But offensively, it comes and it goes. How many little eight-foot push shots did he miss outside of the paint? Some of it was... The shots weren't falling down. Some of it is they were short. Was that AD's fatigue? Was that another factor? Was the mechanics off? The other day he missed the shot. Or missed multiple shots, rather. 
And even late in the game when the Lakers are trying to get back into it, they've got it to within single digits after being down double digits just a few minutes prior to that. What do the Nuggets do? They clog the paints. They don't allow the Lakers to drive and potentially get to the free throw line. They kick it out to Anthony Davis, who's wide open for a three. And remember, he just hit a three before that to cut the lead for the Lakers late in the game, and he missed a wide open three. Played right into the Nuggets' hands. Because they know. Yes, he hit that three before that, but if we lose in part because AD hit a wide open three, then we lost. Like, he's not a guy... If Austin Reeves hits a wide open three, that's different. If... Danzel Russell hits a wide open three. Different story. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But Anthony Davis, that's not the strength of his game, obviously. So coin flip Davis. I'm going to need to get a better prop than this, but get a little quarter. Oh, there it went. Nope. Maybe you heard it in the background, but there goes the quarter. We'll get a better plot prop for it in the future, I promise. But she landed on tails last night. And first and foremost, to me, and I continue to say, I do not care what anybody says, Lakers fans or otherwise, LeBron James is still the best player in the Los Angeles Lakers. And so, as a guy who I considered and have since he broke the all-time scoring record three months ago, the guy I considered the greatest player of all time, Gotta have, I'm going to have to hold them to those standards. Brown didn't play well last night. There's no other way around it. Nine, nine for 19 for the field. 0 for 6 from 3. He still has yet to make a 3 in this series. Now, he was good defensively and has been all series long to this point. So you hope that continues if you're a Lakers fan. Is some of it that he's expending so much energy on the defensive end that he's gassed offensively? Maybe. Is this a strategy move, kind of like when in game five against the Warriors in the last round where Warriors are down 3-1, they have to win the game, LeBron just kind of goes half speed, he knows Lakers really don't have to win this game, doesn't play well, and then comes back in game six as the best player on the floor, scores 30 with nine assists and nine rebounds. Maybe, because he is in year 20, he does have to pace himself more now than he used to in the past. But one thing cannot be avoided. Again, I love been a LeBron, LeBron James fan for a long time. But in the playoffs, and again, this is a guy I've said consistently, the notion that he is not clutch is bogus. Again, he has more playoff buzzer beaters than anybody in the history of the game. It's not Kobe. It's not MJ. It's not Steph. It's not any of these. It's LeBron with five. But in this postseason, He's not live up to those clutch standards. This year for LeBron James in the playoffs in the fourth quarter, he's averaging four and a half points a game, is shooting 35% from the field, and is shooting 5% from three-point range. One for 20. There's not much to defend there. LeBron's going to be better in the fourth quarter moving forward. And I know a lot of people are talking, and I was tweeting during the game, like LeBron's kind of settling for threes right now. Some of that might have been, again, to conserve energy because, again, LeBron is shooting 72% from the field from two. So evidently driving the basket's working pretty well for him. But is it, again, he's in year 20, age 38. Legs are not as fresh as they used to be. Is he running out of energy to constantly drive, drive, drive to the basket? Maybe. But the fact still remains, he's not playing well in the series, and he's dang sure not been playing well in the fourth quarter of these playoffs. Now, this is LeBron James we're talking about. If there's anybody who knows how to bounce back, it's that guy. And if there's anybody I'm not going to bet against, it's that guy. Three times in his career, he's come back from a 2-0 deficit. It's not a dude I'm just going to back off from in terms of, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop betting on LeBron James. I think he'll play big in game three. He'll need to. The whole Lakers team's going to need to. Coin flip Davis. You'll see what you get. And then you'll have to win game 
Game four at home and game five, as it tends to be in a 2-2 series, is kind of the teeter-totter game. And we'll see what happens at that point. But as great as LeBron James is, and I still maintain he's a top five player in the world, he's not played to that standard through the first two games, and he dang sure hasn't played to that standard in the fourth quarter all playoffs long. Don't hate me. I'm just bringing you the facts. While I love LeBron James, objectivity still has to be in my repertoire, which it always is. A few comments here, or really a couple comments. Let's see. John Rivera, crazy to say that the Lakers still have a chance. Are you saying are you saying it's crazy to say that they have a chance? Or you may sound crazy, but you think they have a chance. I don't know. John just <laughs> John just smoking along that LA pack. Well, listen, I did pick the Lakers to win this series. And I even said before the Warriors Lakers series, I said the winner of this is going to win the championship, if healthy, of course if they stay healthy throughout the rest of the playoffs. I can't say I'll be, you know, devastated if the Lakers go down in the Western Conference Finals or if they fail to win championship number 18. I can't say it'll, like, break my heart or anything. Yeah, I'm not going to sit up here and lie to you on live on this show. May, listen, I did my Grizzlies celebration show. And that, listen, that'll be more intense than anything the rest of these playoffs. Cause I, I don't really hate the Celtics or their fans get on my nerves, but I don't really hate the Celtics or uh, I definitely don't hate the heat. I have mad respect for the heat. Uh, and I, I got nothing against Denver, or their fans. Lakers, their fans though. Uh, uh. Listen, if they lose the celebration, won't be like the Memphis celebration. Because I truly, truly detest that organization and their fans. In large part because I live in the same state. But it will be a good celebration. You can guarantee that. But I will stick with my pick. Because as I said on yesterday's show, I do not and never will believe in switching your pick mid-series. I don't do that. That's not, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that all going all the place, flip-flopping. No, no, no. You're going to live by your pick or you're going to die by your pick. You're not just going to abandon ship there. That's what I believe in. Lakers and six still feels like a little bit of a stretch. I had Lakers and six before the series. I guess I'll die on that hill. If not, Lakers and seven. But I still believe they'll hold serve at home just like Denver did and Game 5 will determine the series. Because if the Lakers win Game 5, they'll win Game 6 at home. And if the Nuggets win Game 5, I still think the Lakers will win Game 6 at home. But by the time Game 7 rolls around, Denver's a young team. Not I wouldn't say young. Denver's kind of like that right, like the prime years of their careers, most of their guys, whereas the Lakers, mostly older players. Like they'll be kind of gassed by Game 7. Because there'll be six games against Memphis, six games against Golden State, seven games against Denver. They'll be too worn down by that point. And especially being on the road in that altitude, too much to overcome. So game five to me will determine the series. There you go. Okay, moving to a team that, unfortunately for me, is no longer playing basketball this year, and that's the Golden State Warriors, who face, in my view, one of the most important offseasons in the history of the franchise. I've been very vocal for the last... Well, really, since this week started, since I started doing shows after the Warriors lost to the Lakers in six games, I've been very vocal on this show and on social media. This notion of the dynasty being over, way overblown. And I still maintain that. And seeing what Draymond Green said in his podcast recently makes me think, okay, great, Draymond's back. Which that was kind of the thing I was worried about. I heard Steve Kerr say the other day, we're not a championship contender without Draymond Green. I 100% agree. Uh, he's too darn important to leadership, to helping run the offense, to being the best defensive player on the floor still, and to being one of the best defensive players on planet Earth to this day. you got to have Draymond Green to win a championship. Otherwise, you're, you're going to be trying to fill that hole with multiple guys as opposed to having one guy who can do all that. You still have, and might be the best player in the world, Steph Curry. You still have good role players coming off the bench. Dante DiVincenzo, 
potentially Moses Moody. We'll see what happens with Jonathan Kaminga. A kid I think has a chance to be really good. But does his timeline line up with the Warriors? Kavon Looney? Clay Thompson is a question mark. We know in all likelihood he's going to be a Warrior this year. He's got one year left in his deal, but he's he's scheduled to be a free agent in 2024. What happens with him, given that he had a pretty disappointing postseason? But to me, the big fish of the Warriors offseason, and I've said this from the get-go, is retain Bob Myers, who's been the GM of the Warriors for over a decade. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He drafted Draymond Green. He drafted many of the role players. Kevon Looney, who's, been, who's a part of this dynasty. Harrison Barnes, Fessa Zazili, who helped the Warriors win their first championship of this dynasty in 2015. He made the Andrew Wiggins deal. He got Kevin Durant somehow, some way, was able to sort of uh, finesse the cap system to bring in one of the greatest players ever. Like, I'm hearing some Warriors fans all about, well, I mean, Bob Myers, he did draft James Wiseman, and he did draft Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, who haven't panned out to what we thought they'd be. It's like, okay, Kaminga is raw, okay? I still think he has a chance to be really good, but does his timeline fit with Stephen Clay and Draymond? That, I don't know. I still maintain, with or without the Warriors, Kaminga will be an excellent, excellent player in the NBA. Moses Moody, who's getting more minutes, fits more what they do now, Good defender, could knock down an open shot. I think Moses Moody stays, and it's been a good fit in Golden State, so let's not bash Bob Myers for that. James Wiseman, okay. Uh, you know, I, I was a big Wiseman fan back in the day. I, I, I agreed with the draft pick of him back in 2020, so I'm not going to hindsight 2020 this thing, but yeah, it was probably the wrong pick. But Sham Sharania uh, reported the other day, a couple days ago on Twitter, that the, let me make sure I'm getting this right. Okay. Sources. This is his tweet from two days ago. Sources. Warriors and president of a basketball operations, Bob Myers, have had no substantial contract extension talks in months, and the sides are bracing for the likelihood that Myers could walk away from the franchise. Lee's sources tell Sham Sharania and Anthony Slater of The Athletic. This also a little extra detail. They've had no substantial contract extension talks in months. So when I saw that, I was like, well, that doesn't sound great for a guy who's been the best general manager for the last decade. But then I got a little bit of good news. Mark T. Willard, he's a source within the Bay Area, and this is, I'm not like giving away any names here. He said this publicly on national radio or Bay Area Radio said this yesterday on San Francisco Radio. Quote, Bob Myers has been offered an incredibly lucrative contract by the Golden State Warriors. And the idea that Bob has made his decision and that Bob is very likely gone is being wildly overstated. That's not to discredit what I'm saying now, that's not to discredit Sham Sharania or Anthony Slate or any of these guys. But when you hear this report by Mark T. Willard, again, who's within the Bay Area, who then adds at the end, the idea that Bob has made his decision and that Bob is very likely gone is being wildly overstated. And again, before that, he has been offered an incredibly lucrative contract by the Golden State Warriors. So... There's a couple of different ways to look at this. The first thing is, if this report is true, and I trust that it is, this clearly is not a money issue for Golden State. There's one thing I've always, this is part of what attracted me to being a Warriors fan. What I love about the ownership in Golden State, Joe Lacob in particular. Guys like $400 million over uh, into the luxury tax in the NBA. 
but he doesn't care. He is willing to pay whatever he has to in order to put a championship team and a championship organization together. Steph Curry's in a big deal. Clay Thompson's in a big deal. Draymond Green's in a big deal. Andrew Wiggins is on a big deal. Jordan Poole, inexplicably, is on a big deal. Kevon Looney's on a pretty solid contract. Steve Kerr's on a big deal. Bob Myers at the end now of his deal. And is reportedly, according to the source in the Bay Area, been offered a big deal to stay. What this is going to come down to, at least in my view, is because I've heard other reports, other sources in the Bay Area say that Joe Lacob can be a little, he can be a lot sometimes. Now, that, that's not unique to him, that most owners are that way. But he can be demanding. He can be, you know, as a you know, very, uh, again, demanding sort of personality. Which, look, I'd rather you be that than one of these owners who just sits in their hands, doesn't care anything about putting a championship team together, is just in it for the money. Just They're just in the business of sports to make themselves richer. They do not care about the success uh, the product, rather, of their teams. That is the opposite of what Joe Lacob is. I've heard other reports. Does Bob Myers want to take a year off from basketball, then come back to Golden State? Maybe. We know he and Steve Kerr are very close friends. He and Steph Curry are very tight, hold a, a, a close bond. He and Draymond Green, same thing. Sort of the, really the, the core three uh, of, of the Warriors, along with Bob Myers, he's tight with all three, Kerr, Steph, and Draymond. From what I've heard, source-wise, this feels like a conversation of, does Bob want to tolerate, I would say tolerate's a strong word. Is he a little worn down from the stresses of working within the Warriors organization? be it the expectations from the fan base, from the NBA, uh, media, uh, from the fans, uh, from the front office, other people in the front office? Maybe. But what this says is if Bob Myers wants to come back to Golden State, the money isn't the issue. So we'll see. Hearing that report yesterday made me feel a lot better than the way I felt when Shams' report came out. Maybe it's a little bit of confirmation bias on my part, but I don't think so. This is somebody very close to the situation on the ground in San Francisco in Warriors headquarters, basically. Trust what they say. Obviously, I hope Bob Myers is there long-term. Uh, I think, he, again, he's the best general manager in all basketball. And I don't think the Warriors would be here without him. I don't think they get Kevin Durant without him, I'll tell you that. I'm not sure they get Andrew Wiggins. In 2020, given that due to Wiggins' contract, nobody, I mean, it was viewed as the worst contract in the NBA. And look at his deal now, and people are like, oh, that's, yeah, that's a great deal for Wiggins. Well, Bob Myers was the visionary behind that. He saw that. He saw, hey, this could really fit here. And what do you know? Two and a half years after the trade, Wiggins was really the second best player on, the, of, on a championship team. So retaining him, is priority number one this offseason. Priority number two, keep Draymond. Priority number three, move on from Jordan Poole. Because I don't think you can bring Draymond and Poole back to Golden State together. You got to move on from one or the other. And obviously, I think I speak for all of Dub Nation, you keep Draymond. Okay, he's been the second most important, maybe not the best, but the second most important player to this dynasty, to Steph Curry, of course. Where's Jordan Poole? He helped us get a title last year. Not going to do any revisionist history. He was huge, particularly in the playoff run last year. But he was an enigma this year. He was all over the place this year. His shooting percentage plummeted. His consistency was everywhere. And in the postseason, I read off the numbers on Monday's show, he was horrible. Prior to number four after that, Priority number five, I guess, because it's retained by... No, yeah, priority number four. Uh, keep Bob Myers, keep Draymond Green, move on from Jordan Poole. And priority number four, fill in the team with veterans. The Warriors are a little too young, a little too green on the bench. Bringing guys who have been there and done that. Guys who have who maybe have been on multiple teams. Again, last year, the championship season, 
You had Otto Porter. You had Gary Payton, which Gary Payton's coming back this year, which is big. You had um, Nemanja Bielitsa. People forget about him. He was a big contributor in the postseason. Played well in the Dallas series. Had a, a good def defensive stretch against Jason Tatum in the finals. Good shot maker. Like, veteran. You know? And Golden State needs to surround their team with a lot of guys like that. So very, very, very important offseason uh, for the Golden State Warriors uh, coming up. Okay. Moving to a team that I did not think I'd be talking about this time of year unless they won the draft lottery, which they did not, the Houston Rockets. Multiple reports have been talking about for, it seemed like for the last five months or so, and have really ramped up now that this player's season is over, is the Houston Rockets have been in talks, uh, the owner in particular, to bring James Harden back this offseason. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'll talk about it from Houston's perspective before I get to Philly's perspective. From Houston's perspective and standpoint, there's no way I'm bringing him back. What's the incentive to do so? Is bringing James Harden back going to make you a championship team? Of course not. Is it to bring back a guy to sort of mentor the young guys in the team? I could be wrong, but that's never really struck me as James Harden's personality. He's there to hoop, do his thing, you know, when the game's over, go to a strip club, stay up all night, not take great care of his body, and wear down in the postseason. That's kind of James Harden in a nutshell. They just hired Ime Odoka as their new head coach. And we know, again, off-court stuff aside, in terms of building a culture, look how quickly he did that in Boston. So now you bring in a coach who's a culture builder with a lot of young players. A lot of young players over the past few years that they've drafted or, or brought in. They need a guy, again, they, they need to bring in veterans. I keep going back to this for the Warriors, but I think it's even more important for, for young teams, for teams that aren't going to compete for championship or even a, a playoff appearance anytime soon to bring in guys to sort of mentor the young players, the, the 19, 20, 21-year-olds, to show them the ropes of the NBA, how it works, the business of the NBA, on and off the court. Is Harden going to be that type of dude? No, I think. Then don't make the move if you're the Houston Rockets. So, as for Philadelphia, who I said I think is, is in the most, probably the worst situation of any NBA team right now. Because you just fired your coach. No clue who they'll bring after that. Again, I'm not sure. Again, Monty Williams, for me, is, is the guy that makes the most sense. But even if they bring in Monty, you still got to worry about Joel Embiid. And let's, let's be honest about Joel. And I said, he deserved the MVP this year. I had no issue with him winning that this year. However, this is a guy who has proven over the course of his seven healthy years in the NBA, can he be the best player, forget a championship team, on an Eastern Conference finalist? He's lost seven game sevens in the second round. And has played below par in all of them. Game 7 this year, he was bad. Flat out bad against the Boston Celtics. While Jason Tatum on the other side dropped a cool 51 points. A Game 7 record. Is Joel Embiid a guy who you build your franchise around? That's the question. And what do they do about James Harden? Again, I suggested yesterday orchestrate a sign-in trade. And you still have good role players. You still have a Tyrese Maxey. You still have Tobias Harris. But in terms of the bench, in terms of some of the other role players... Do they really fit? Does it really work long-term for a team that's hoping to compete for a championship? Does Joel Embiid even want to be in Philadelphia? I've heard reports that saying that he might ask out. So Philadelphia's in a bad spot. But for Houston, an organization that has overwhelmingly been pretty well run, got, got solid ownership. They had, obviously, Daryl Morey, the general manager for a long time there. They've historically been a good organization. 
You're tr- you're trying. You are in, in, in the definition of a rebuilding process. Why bring James Harden back again? I always ask any question in sports or out of sports when somebody's making a decision. When I'm making a decision, what am I hoping to accomplish by doing this? What is the end goal stated by making this decision? What is Houston hoping to accomplish by bringing James Harden back? Nostalgia? Like that's a like that's like a major league baseball move. You're trying to build a culture. You've got a coach who's shown he's able to do that, capable of doing that. You've got a very young team. Bring in other vets who can help them out. I don't think James Harden's necessarily one of those guys. It's a process. We talk about Philadelphia. Trust the process. Trust the process. That needs to be Houston's model. Uh, Houston's catchphrase now. Trust the process. They're capable of doing that. That's why I like the hire. That's why I like the young talent they've got there. Jalen Green, a kid they drafted last year. I'm blanking on his name from Auburn. Jabari Smith, that's the name. Jabari Smith. Got some good young talent. Alfred Sangoon. I think, I think that's the kid they got, right? Is it Sangoon that's that's in Houston? I can't remember. Uh, but they've got a good young team. Does hard make a whole lot of sense going there? I don't think so. Last topic of the day uh, is, is in the NFL. And it's, again, revolving around a team that I think we would all agree is, at least I'd hope so, is one of the more poorly run franchises in American sports, and that's the Las Vegas Raiders. It's why that when they benched Derek Carr at the end of last season, I rejoiced. I said, thank God and congratulations, Derek Carr. You are finally going to be moving on to a franchise that wants you, that's well run, that fits what you do best. And while the Saints for me was a a little bit of a confusing move, a little bit of a head scratcher for Derek Carr, because I don't think that's a team ready to compete for championships right now. It's a team that's more than capable of winning a, a weak division, which the NFC South is at this particular moment in time. It's Derek Carr who now gets teamed up with Chris Olave. Uh, I think Marquez Callaway, I'm pretty sure, still there. Actually, Callaway might have left in free agency. I can't remember. But got some good weapons in New Orleans, a very good offensive line, and a tremendous defense. The question I have in New Orleans, honestly, is about the coach, Dennis Allen. But that's another story for another day. But he finally goes to an organization that wants him. Now another guy within the organization, a probably the best player on their team, seems a little disgruntled. Can't say I blame him. Devontae Adams. We all know, superstar, arguably the best receiver in the league his last year with the Green Bay Packers in 2021, was traded the following offseason to the Raiders. He got a five-year extension as a part of that. He got to play with his college buddy, his college quarterback from Fresno State, Derek Carr. Well... Derek Carr's no longer a Raider, and Devontae Adams like, oh, crap, I'm stuck here. But he had a quote uh, recently talking about Josh McDaniels and the front office of the Raiders. He said, and I quote, this is a real quote from Devontae Adams. We don't see eye to eye on what we think is best for us right now. I'm going to have to buy into this offense and try to be as optimistic as possible. It's not what I expected to happen, but it's something that's the reality now. Yeah, he's not happy. That's that is the nicest way to say y'all screwed me over. You brought me here thinking, "Hey, it's a fresh start. It's a team that is, hasn't been in the city all that long in Vegas. This will be the Raiders' fourth year in Las Vegas. I get to play with my college quarterback. It's a new coach. It's a new beginning. Plus gets to wear dope uniforms and a great fan base." And a year later, we found out Josh McDaniels, but well, I didn't find this out. I've always known this, but he finds out, yeah, Josh McDaniels isn't a very good coach. Yeah, our defense is kind of terrible. Yeah, our, our division is is uh, is brutal, and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is my quarterback now, and I'm kind of stuck. Now, could Devontae Adams potentially ask out of Vegas this offseason? Ask out of Vegas midseason? Maybe. But I'm looking at this and I'm saying this is just yet another another stain in an organization that while we talk about the Raiders a lot and they're an iconic NFL brand, again, fantastic fan base, awesome uniforms, the whole bit. They, I, I don't think there's an organization in American sports that truly doesn't get enough credit for how poorly run they are. We rip the Browns 
in the NBA. We were up like the Orlando Magic, and for years up until this season, the Sacramento Kings. We don't talk enough about how poorly run the Las Vegas Raiders have been, or the Raiders franchise has been, you know, back to their days in Oakland for decades. Folks, they have not won a playoff game in 20 years. They had one of, in my view, top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL in Derek Carr. They have two playoff appearances to show for it. And now they have a disgruntled wide receiver, rightfully so, who's like, yeah, this isn't what I signed up for. So, is there a potential that they move on for Devontae Adams? That Devontae Adams maybe forces their hand to do so? Very likely could be the case. As a matter of fact, I'd be kind of shocked if it's not the case. But this is just yet another example of a franchise in, in, in the Raiders that I think has been as, as poorly run a, 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 an NFL team as there has been over the past two to three decades. Like, really, it feels like they're... It feels like their history has changed. The trajectory of the Raiders organization has changed since the Tuck World game, which was in January of 2002, so 21 years ago. Just feels like they've never they've never quite been the same. Because had they won that game, they would have went to the AFC title game, which they would have faced Pittsburgh, I think. And they likely would have won that, gone to the Super Bowl. We'll see what would have happened against the greatest show on turf Rams. But they got the bad end of a bad call. It's in the Tuck Rule game, and it helped launch the Patriots dynasty. And six Super Bowls later, well, the Patriots aren't in much better shape. <laughs> they're, they're not. They're not. But Tom Brady certainly is. By the way, I, I thought that video was pretty cool. I don't, know if, I don't know if anybody saw on social media. I thought that video was pretty cool of Tom Brady on, uh, like, meeting with the top four quarterbacks drafted. I, I wish it was top five. Hidden Hooker should have been there. Neither here nor there. It was Bryce Young. C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis, who were all meeting with Tom Brady, and he was talking about how, you know, Bryce, you were drafted with the number one overall pick. Will, Will Levis, yes, you, you, you slipped to the second round, which nobody saw coming. Doesn't matter. He said Bryce makes the most money because he's the number one overall pick, but all you guys, you're, where you're drafted does not matter one iota. To where, not talking about the city or the team, talking about where, like in terms of the number, like first pick, second pick, in the case of Levis, 33rd pick. You know, and Tom was talking about, hey guys, I was, uh, I was the 999th pick of the draft, and, you know, he saw that turned out for me. Like, not paying attention to what number you were drafted, not paying attention to the scouts, or if any, if you're going to pay attention to the scouts, then use that as motivation. Don't use it as self-doubt. And so I, I thought it was really cool how, how Tom has kind of moved into this sort of, uh, has sort of moved into this mentorship role, which I think is further evidence. And I've kept, I've said this since he retired for the final time. He's retired, like he, he's he, he's done. When he did that video on the beach, and I talked about this on my guy Adam's podcast on Tuesday on his live show, the NFL with AJL. Definitely check it out. I was talking to him about this, about him buying a stake into the Raiders and this, that, and the other. I said he's he's done, like he's not coming back. When he did that video on the beach in February, I think it, I think it was actually on February first or second, if I'm not mistaken. He was on the beach in Florida. He said, "I'm retired for good." And you see how again he's bought a stake into the Raiders. He's further advancing the TB12 brand, the 199 production, all the things he's got going on off the field. I've said since even the first retirement that he's going to be just as great off the field as I think Kobe Bryant was. Rest in peace off the court. Uh, he's going to have a very similar sort of attack at retirement as Kobe did. And I think a lot of athletes are going to sort of follow in that mold, in those footsteps at, you know, just because your career is over, you could still use the resources that you have, combine it with the work ethic that you have and still be great at what you do. So uh, to see Tom doing what he's doing is, is, is very exciting. A uh, little bit of breaking news here from uh, Sham Sharania. who's was just talking about Shams on the Bob Myers topic. Sham Sharania, quote, the NBA is considering changing the All-Star Game format from the current player draft to Eastern versus Western Conference, among other concepts. It has been the topic of discussion at the recent Board of Governor and GM meetings after this year's All-Star Game. I don't know if I love that. I know maybe the traditionalists are like, yeah, you got to keep it West versus East, kind of like the Pro Bowl, the now defunct Pro Bowl, thank you, merciful God, was AFC versus NFC. Baseball, it's American League versus National League. I understand that. 
but I thought the player draft format, I thought it, again, I don't think the all-star game needs changes in terms of the rules or the format where it's team LeBron versus team Giannis or whoever the captains are from either conference. Uh, I think you're going to have to give, give the players more incentives. Kind of like how the new CBA talked about how, you know, if you're a player, you can't be voted to any awards or any All-NBA teams if you don't play a minimum of 65 games. I think it should be more around 60, but 65, that's fine. Maybe put an incentive close to that in this format. Because we all know, this year's All-Star game was horrible. Hor- unwatchable. Is awful. Um, the year before that, though, it was amazing. Steph scored 50. LeBron hit the game-winning shot in Cleveland. He had the NBA 75th anniversary celebration at halftime, which was awesome. So I don't think I'm a big. I'm big on this. Not overreacting to one bad instance or occurrence. Now, if it keeps happening, if next year again the All Star Game is terrible, okay, then you might want to consider making changes. Uh, but again, and I talked about this on my show, everybody ripping the players. Oh, back in the day, they compete. It's like, well, now athletes understand that their body is their business. And if somebody tries to, you know, do something out of the ordinary, like, God forbid, tear an Achilles or something, they're done. Cost them millions of dollars. It costs their team an opportunity to compete for a championship. It's going to cost them their entire offseason plus to rehab that injury. In some way, shape, or form, they're going to have to find a way to incentivize the players. I don't think the format is the problem. Matter of fact, I think since uh, the passing of Kobe Bryant, when they put in the the uh, the fourth quarter rules, where the target score is however many points the leader has, like if you know Team LeBron is up one seventy six to one seventy, you add LeBron's one seventy six plus twenty four in honor of Kobe, which would be one. Uh, actually, 200. I'm sorry, 200. And so the target scores 200. So at that point, there's no clock. First team to 200 wins. I love that. It's got like a pickup type of feel to it. I don't think that's the issue. I don't think the draft, I think the drafting format is awesome. It, it's it's literally, we talk about the All-Star game should be the best pickup game in the world. To me, that makes it more like that. Like you're at the Y, you're, you know, you, you got the two best players. They pick, you know, among the best players to to team up with and who fits and that that to me that makes it feel more like a pickup game, which is great. Got to incentivize the players. The NBA is really missing the point here. I'm just saying. Uh, Shams also tweeted a few minutes ago. The NBA and NBA Players Association agreed in recent months to have talks about increased competitiveness in the All Star Game as part of the new collective bargaining agreement. Sources said changes could come for the 2023 through 24 season. But that's what they need to address, the competitiveness, the incentive, the uh, the product. The format's not the issue at all. By the way, too, WNBA starts tonight. Brittany Grinder makes her return. I've got the Aces going back-to-back. Candace Parker, shout-out VFL. Candace Parker's going to get her third ring. Las Vegas Aces going back-to-back this year. Best team in the WNBA. You heard it here first. But Sabrina Unescu, who I, I actually remember talking about her on my show when she was in Oregon, Sabrina Unescu is going to be the MVP this season. Done deal. Brianna Stewart's probably the best player right now who the, the Liberty just added this past offseason. UNESCO is going to win the MVP. The Vegas Aces are going to win the championship. You heard it here first. I know picking Vegas to win the championship isn't exactly going out in a limb considering they won last year and what they added this offseason. But hey, I'm just saying. All right, that is all the time here for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up Live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid YouTube channel. And be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasting platforms on your podcast, rather, any podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your podcast at The Grid Network. And, of course, subscribe on YouTube at The Grid Network and then all social platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all over the place. Enter The Grid. 
All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Please continue to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please be sure to call your local uh, state officials uh, to demand change for gun violence, this horrible problem we have in America. Please demand change. Please call your local uh, state representatives and senators to demand change for this problem. Have a great weekend, everybody. Please continue to stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. Dynasty's still not over, though. Hope you'll hope you remember that. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.